Hey everyone, as a radical magical podcast, this podcast as a ritual refuses to accept advertisements or sponsorships. The magic you're about to hear is all made possible by listeners like you who are kind enough to participate in this ritual by joining our Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual to get exclusive content and help make the world a more magical place. In 30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you've left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard I remember when Facebook first introduced threaded comments. Previously, there had just been a post, followed by a single, chronological list of comments and responses. Then, literally overnight, that all changed. Suddenly a single post could be home to an infinite number of increasingly gnarly reply chains, many of them obscured by view more comments links. In this brave new world, if you saw someone post a hot take and wanted to offer your own counter-critique, you had to make a decision. Did you comment directly on the post? Or reply to somebody else's even worse take? Did you read through multiple threads to see if your comment had been previously made? Or just toss it out there and keep scrolling? A single release, one new feature, fundamentally changed the way we conversed on the world's largest social media platform. And these sorts of changes are happening faster and faster. One Unicode update shoves an entire set of new emojis into our cultural lexicon. It would be like waking up one morning, and where previously your language only had words for red and blue, suddenly you now had scarlet and crimson, cyan and teal. Languages used to evolve organically over time, developing grammar and vocabulary in response to what the community needed to express and the unique patterns honed by geographic isolation. Now, language or even more broadly, human communication, leaps forward at tremendous speeds based on a product team's latest deploy. If a picture is worth a thousand words, is a video worth a hundred thousand? A million? How many words is a viral TikTok duet using a Miley Cyrus lip sync to critique the latest performative ice bucket challenge trend worth? How do we stay on top of the news when trending topics no longer reflect reality but rather create reality. I deleted my Facebook this year. It was a long time coming. Whereas once upon a time my feed was full of friends and fun conversation, I had long since found myself hate-scrolling through a sea of viral news articles, clickbait, ads, and terrible, terrible takes. I essentially stopped posting and commenting because what was the point? A news event would happen and the reaction menu became predictable and pointless. I could offer the standard, oh no, what a tragedy, thoughts and prayers. The edgy critique, well, actually, this is what you get from years of blah, blah, blah. 
the obvious jokes, the counter critique, the backlash for the counter critique, the backlash for the backlash of the counter critique, the meta commentary, and on and on and on. Ad infinitum, ad nauseum. I was sick of it all, so I pulled all my personal data off Facebook and did the big delete. I haven't looked back since, in large part because I found a better way of ingesting the internet. It's called Garbage Day. Written by internet journalist Ryan Broderick, Garbage Day is a newsletter that comes out multiple times a week, digesting the big events of the internet, analyzing the recent trends, and serving up a curated selection of some choice memes and top Twitter jokes. In many ways, it feels like having a personal concierge for internet content. Instead of having to Google trending hashtags, scroll through endless feeds, and suffer all the toxicity the modern internet has to offer, I can just let Ryan do it for me and serve me up the cream of the crop with thoughtful commentary to boot. Whether he's breaking down a 4chan harassment campaign, a rash of disgusting food videos on Facebook, or the latest Twitter beef between two warring fandom communities, Ryan's presentation of the internet makes it feel weird, wild, and somehow, miraculously, still a little bit wonderful. Yes, the internet has unleashed hordes of hateful trolls hell-bent on bringing our democracy to its knees. But it's also still a place where a dentist kid's furry art can go viral and receive a warm, supportive reception from the wider furry community. And that's pretty cool. Between the regular Garbage Day dispatches in my inbox and the ongoing conversation in the Garbage Day Discord, I've managed to replace the exhausting, depressing, soul-crushing experience of scrolling Facebook with something far more wonderful and strange. I can say without any hesitation that Garbage Day has made my experience of the internet slightly better. And since this podcast is a ritual, is a magic ritual running through the veins of the internet itself, working collectively to manifest a future slightly better than the garbage of today, I'm thrilled to have Ryan Broderick join us so we can try to figure out how to understand the internet. What's up, Ryan? Hi there. Welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you for having me. This is amazing. I am I am a huge fan, very excited. I think this is going to be one for the ages, uh, which as a podcast that spans time and space, it's going to be very interesting to talk about the internet in a way that's not going to be meaningless in like six months. <laughs> we'll give it our best shot. We'll give it our best shot. What's our magic word going to be? Uh, pepper. Pepper. Okay. Yeah. One, two, three, pepper. Pepper. Sync that in post. Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> we <laughs> there, some la- there is some lag there. Yeah, we, we won't sync that in post. That's fine. Everyone, but that's the whole idea is that everybody's saying the word on their own at a different point in time, in space, which is the idea that I'm fascinated by of, of how like we can all kind of consume something together, but very much alone, which I think is very much um, how the internet is structured right now. And you do such a good job of covering this thing which is is kind of uncoverable thank you and i agree with you i think there is something like both magical and lonely but then also deeply fulfilling about the internet and like those conflicts there are infinitely fascinating to me (laughs) and it's it's i think it's like the highs are getting higher and the lows are getting lower 
Oh, for sure. But also I, I think the speed too is interesting where it's like, you know, have you ever seen that tweet that's like the amount of nacho cheese on a Dorito would blow the mind of an 18th century peasant. And it's like the amount of viral content that we consume now would absolutely blow your mind if you showed it to yourself like 20 years ago. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get the exact number wrong. Like you, you might know this better than me, but I was listening to, I think that New York times podcast rabbit hole. And oh, yeah. I think every year, 4 billion years of video was uploaded to YouTube. I don't know the exact number, but that does sound right to me, which is um, insane. Like, like it's, it's, you can't like, you can't win. You can't read the internet. <laughs> No, there's no way. In fact, oh, that's, yeah. So I was actually just working on this thing about how we sort of assume that the internet is this like singular text that can be consumed and read and understood. And we sort of judge others for not knowing a thing or not being able to like piece together something, but yet none of us can, right? Like it's just this um, this constantly updating thing that defines culture now in this really chaotic way. And yet there's literally no way to know all of it. It's it's kind of mind blowing. It's, it's it's incredibly mind blowing. I think I I like thinking about the future a lot, even though it deeply terrifies me. <laughs> and one of the things that I got totally wrong was I was thinking, oh, like we're going to record everything and everything will be archived and available forever. And now I'm seeing more and more that it's like, no, it's going to be a constant churn. <laughs> like everything's happening and disappearing so fast. It's like the world will just be a million Snapchats like bubbling up and disappearing simultaneously. Yeah. 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 There's this, um, there's this really weird thing that we're living through at the moment. Um, where it's like we all have a data trail mm-hmm. and we're all fairly certain what's in that data trail to, for the most part. And yet it's constantly being eroded by more posts that we share or, you know, sites going down. Like I had a MySpace that's gone. Thank goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, but, and yet we sort of like are really fascinated as a culture about like showing each other stuff from people's data trail like you know this is sort of like the the idea of cancel cancellation or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it but it's also we're interested in sort of looking at old photographs i mean there's a there's a bunch of jokes about how like uh you know you're on an airplane and you have no wi-fi so it's time to just like look at your camera roll for a while (laughs) like we all have these weird invisible trails of data that just follow us around and it's like making people act very strange. And and when I was in high school and college, there was, I had this feeling where I was like, everything I do has to fit within like an album on Facebook. And like, that will be the, what like defines my life and my identity will sort of like be one constant thing. And then, you know, I reached my late twenties, early thirties. And I was like, that's not possible. And also stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and thank goodness I don't do that anymore. But then I think we're all grappling with this right now. It's like, how do how do we define ourselves in a world where there's a bunch of machines that are also trying to define ourselves, to define us, right? That are like pushing it in weird directions. Yeah. To sell you away bags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To sell you away bags and uh, galaxy lights. Exactly. Um, to sell you projectors and dildos. It's going to try to remind are, you. Which of are all jokes that people in six months will no longer get. Those are inscrutable references. Um, <laughs> so I want to, I, I mean, I think we're going to go deep down this rabbit hole, but just to give us a little bit of that human context, um, how did you, how did you come to be doing this? Um, like what was your 
entry into covering the internet as a journalist and then up through um, taking that leap to being not only an internet covering the journal, a journalist covering the internet, but also being the internet <laughs> by creating a newsletter and being a part of this, uh, this whole Substack wave. So my villain origin story um, is when I was in college, I was a cartoonist for the newspaper and there was like a political shakeup in the structure of the newspaper that meant that the editor-in-chief had to step down. It was uh, it wasn't quite like a me too situation, but it was like, you know, the one editor hooking up with another editor, cheating on them with another editor kind of thing. And it got really messy. A whole and when Fleetwood the dust, Mac kind of thing. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And when the dust settled, I was the only person who knew how to use InDesign. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, I became the editor-in-chief as a junior, which was very strange. And It's like when Air Force One crashes and they're like, yep, okay, agricultural secretary, I guess you're president now. I Yeah, exactly. I was the designated survivor. Uh, so I, I laid out the paper. I was the editor-in-chief and I quickly had to learn how journalism works uh, beyond just like I was doing album reviews and I was writing, you know, goofy things for the humor magazine down the hall and that was it. And then I got really in, I got into it. I liked it. Um, but I was more interested in the internet and I was mostly interested in like back in those days, I just wanted to write for crack.com. That was it. I wanted to write lists oh, yeah. for crack.com. Um, and then out of college, I started working at Vice as an intern, um, and that wasn't really going anywhere. Uh, it was kind of a I, miserable place. <laughs> I, 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 I've always gotten that feeling because just of how many, like, I feel like all of the people that you see in a Vice video, you only see once. <laughs> and so it just seems like clearly it's like, oh, cool, we're going to send you to Columbia and like you're going to write about this, you know, horse drug or something, and then we'll never see you again. I'm like, it doesn't seem like they're really building like a stable roster of... Uh, of at least no. the people that are on screen. I think that's true. It's it's quite a revolving door and it was even 10 years ago. And then from there I, got, I ended up at Buzzfeed and I was at Buzzfeed through like the crazy boom time. They sent me around the world to like I was helping set up new offices for them, but all the while sort of doing it as someone who's focused on like internet culture. So I, I quickly I did tw- I, I was in 22 countries over 4 years covering kind of what I cover while also covering other stuff. And so I ended up with this really weird encyclopedic knowledge of like how the internet works around the world. And then, so real quick, just to put a personal thing in that part of your story, I I had read somewhere else before. And that's like the biggest fuck you to an earlier version of me because I finished my journalism degree and I was like, I want to do journalism to like go have adventures and like travel. I don't want to sit behind a desk and just like rewrite what's happening on Twitter. And I love that you were like, Fuck you, Devin. I'm going to do both of those. I'm going to yeah. cover what's happening on Twitter by getting sent around the world. I'm going to travel to desks around the world to write about <laughs> Twitter. Yeah, um, I, I'll ha- I'll tell you where all the best Starbucks are in cities all over the world um, that to work out of. But from that point, BuzzFeed was sort of like changing. Everyone got laid off. And then I recently last summer got got booted out. And I was sort of stuck with this option where I was like, what do I do? Do I give up on journalism entirely? Uh, I wanted to. Uh, God knows many people also wanted me to. And then I thought, well, I have this newsletter that I've been doing for fun. I don't really have much interest in journalism, but I do like writing about the Internet. And I and I had had this weird feeling for many years about how angry I was that all websites were suddenly news websites. Because it didn't mm-hmm. used to be like that. There used to be an in-between. There used to be 
thought catalog, crack.com, something awful. There used to be places where you could read stuff that wasn't, you know, um, you know, uh, Tom McGuire from the Atlantic writing a think piece about whatever COVID misinformation. Like I wanted something more fun and more entertaining. And so I threw myself into garbage day and it was kind of a massive roll of the dice. Uh, but it's grown to like 15,000 readers. I have a discord. I'm part of a writer's network with like genuinely big writers like Charlie mm-hmm. Warzel and people. And we interviewed Mark Zuckerberg and my readers got to harass him in a group chat, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> the garbage day discord is great. Like I, I follow a bunch of other discords and I never go into them and I never check them cause it's just overwhelming. Um, but the garbage day one is like consistently like thoughtful conversations about sonic fetish porn and like the weirdest <laughs> topics, but like people really respecting each other and having such like also like a really funny group of people too. some of like the comedic timing and just like, wow, I'm just like scrolling back and reading this and yeah, good job everyone. <laughs> uh, it's, it, it is tr- a tremendous thing for me. I, I was, I was someone who was okay. So this is a funny story. At one point I was covering extremism on discord and I was in so many Nazi discords that when discord deleted all the servers, my account got banned and I had to send an email to the company being like, I'm not a Nazi. I was just in all the Nazi rooms spying on them. Can you please bring my account back to give you an idea, to give you an idea of sort of my experience with that world. And, and it wasn't actually until I started a Twitch group last, last fall called uh, we called ourselves Hubastank too and it was kind of like um we called it like a very online Japanese game show podcast kind of vibe it was like a variety show okay we started it we started a discord and people started joining it and I was like wow this is a genuinely fun experience that I don't remember having for a very long time and when the the Hubastank 2 twitch group kind of died down I was like I'm just gonna launch a garbage day discord and see what happens and what's crazy is that like that then led to the side channel discord, which is the writer's network, which we interviewed Mark Zuckerberg and got to cyber bully him. Mm-hmm. And then that's inspired like other people to start discords. I think the, um, the discontents network, which has like a defector blog and like all those like cool leftists, they have a discord. Like I, I'm not saying we inspired that, but it's, it's just cool to be part of like a group of people who are experimenting with building like an audience that you want, like not an audience. That, that defeats my whole purpose here. Uh, young Community. writers and y- young creators like experimenting with building online communities again that aren't just about like scale mm-hmm. and like satisfying VC money and like, you know, all that bullshit. Well, that's one of the things that I, I think about a lot is that I think we're told that everything has to scale. I think um, one of the most like monumental pieces of writing. Do you remember, you remember Hipster Runoff? Yeah. So Carl's? Like, yeah. Carl's. So like when Carl's, stopped doing hipster runoff and was going to sell it. He had like a website called carls.buzz and he was writing these crazy essays on there. And one of them is called to scale or to create something like that. (laughs) And it's, it's like, it's like the best like millennial think piece I've ever fucking seen because it's just going to the heart. It's like, you say that you want to create, but you don't, what you actually want to do is scale. If your idea doesn't scale and you don't become Steve jobs and like rise to the top of your own employment pyramid, then that's not what you want. And, Everyone is like saying they want to be a creative artist and it's like, no, you want to scale. But I think scaling sucks. I think you lose like, I don't want to go to a 10,000 person party. I want to go to like a 30 person party. I know exactly what what you mean. I, oh man, the, my own, the only thing, 
I just I'm so bummed that Carl's didn't survive long enough to sell Hipster Runoff off as an NFT because mm. I feel like that would have just been really funny. Wait, did he um, die? No, I just I don't know oh. where he is. I don't yeah. know. I, oh wait, someone told me that he does. I, I okay, I had this conversation recently with someone who said that Carl's does a very boring like satellite radio show. Whoa. Just about like indie rock where he like rehashes old beefs from like 10 years ago. But okay, wait. So onto the scale conversation. Um, so I, I have very weird thoughts about scale. Part of me thinks that like achieving scale online is kind of the same like issue with like conversations about capitalism and like where it's like, oh, you're a socialist and yet you own a laptop or whatever. And it's like, yeah, unfortunately, the way that the internet is constructed right now, like you kind like I know the garbage day has to hit probably a hundred thousand readers to become like a business where I won't have to wake up every morning and wonder about it. Mm-hmm. Just because like that's the way the internet's constructed, and it's not because I want a hundred thousand readers. I mean, obviously, I'm a megalomaniac. I'm I'm an internet creator, so I would like yeah. to be read by as many people as possible. But I think. It is it is unfortunate that we are stuck with a version of the internet where you have to have like X amount of people behind you as a creator to be able to move around. And mm. I think that's kind of getting worse actually, where it's like um, you know, we have more creators than ever doing cool stuff on the internet and making money doing it, but now they're expected to have like their own weird micro fandom that can then support them. And like it's good and bad, but it's complicated. Well, that's a really interesting point because I think there's there's kind of different entities on the internet. And one of them, I think, is the creator that you're talking about, where in order to be a creator, you have to have um, a couple of different organs that an, a normal person doesn't have because you have to have a Patreon and a Discord and like a content stream and these other things that somebody who is just an auto mechanic does not possess. You have these advanced digital organs that are connected to your credentials and then live on the internet. But at the same time, there's an another entire creative like plebeian class on the internet where they're just the people that are randomly making the memes and Twitter jokes that get shared around. Like, yes, the things that like, you know, the things that go into garbage day, not every one of those people has a creator empire. So like there's two, like you're, I mean, I'm not trying to call you out or this is not like a, a slur or anything, but it's like, you're kind of like a noble. And then you have like, you know, a distributed fiefdom of different people that are like, I brought you some grain. You're like, this grain's sick. I'm going to take a picture of it and share it, <laughs> and share it in a newsletter. I, I do feel like I am, a, you know, part of the the Versailles Manor House class and outside are the, uh, the, the peasants. No, I, so it is interesting because it used to be there were no creators and everyone was just like, a person who made something on the internet. And if you were known on the internet, it was probably a bad thing. Like you were someone like, you know, uh, Chris Chan, Mm. you know, for someone from the headlines right now, or, or, or even like the something awful user Grover who made Grover house, that like insane house that makes no sense that like went viral on something awful. Like they were, or like, I mean like, or like grape lady, like you're kind of just like a victim of the internet's attention falling on you in a weird, embarrassing moment of your life. And exactly. And then slowly we started getting creators and we started getting things like web comic artists Mm -hmm. or home star runner, or, you know, the people who would make things for YTMMD. Like we started getting these people 
Um, ooh, a really good one is Neil Cerciega. Uh, he was like a really oh, yeah. early internet artist. And then that started to combine with like vlogging. So we got like the vlog brothers, I mean, Hank and John Green and all these people, Casey Neistat. And it started to kind of congeal together until for a while it felt like there were no creators anymore and they were just this like new class of people who we would eventually call influencers. And wait, hold on. Before we get to influencers, I want to call it a really important part, I think, of that transition that you just described. Because I Ooh, think yeah. most of the people that are like making comics, like I was a huge, huge, huge Aikwood fan. I thought Chris Onstat was just, that was just such a genius work. But that was somebody doing it on his own. Like most of the webcomic creators, I'm pretty sure, were people that were like doing it on their own and maybe paying their like brother to help them mail out t-shirts or something. But then yeah. with the vloggers, it's still the illusion of a single identity but like, I don't believe that, what's his name, Casey Nyquist or whatever. Like, I've seen his videos. I'm like, there's just not time in the day for you to film this and then sit there and edit it yourself and then like post it and then like engage. Like you have to have other people helping, which is then like what also celebrity is. Like Kanye West is a brand. It's not a single human being. There's a single oh. weird human being kind of in the middle of it. But like I had... I hadn't thought about that. That's That's a great, that's great. I had not thought about that sort of like, evolution of the brand once like they get the editor yeah well i mean it's like it's like three you know kids in a trench coat trying to go into a movie like it's like you're wearing a single person suit in the same way that like a corporation is a person but instead of mcdonald's being like look at this clown like that's a human you're a human come on instead it's someone they're like no i'm just me internet personality blah 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 but really it's like no i'm a small corporation that has um like you've, I think you've talked about this with what's the terrible one, Logan Paul. Like his oh, yeah. whole, you know, like production team is like much smaller than Vice's, but is churning out content at a way higher level in terms of getting idiots to click on things. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think what's been interesting though is that like we're now sort of in almost like a post-influencer age where we're getting creators again. We're getting, I mean, people like you and me who are using the internet to try to etch out some kind of middle class, you know, lifestyle using internet content. And like, it's based not around uh, like photos of ourselves or sort of like the concept of a personal brand, but it's actually based around like products that we're trying to make and sell. And so that to me is kind of interesting where it's like an internet merchant class or something where we, which we didn't really have for a long time. We used to have it. And now like all these platforms like Twitter or Facebook are rolling out monetization options to try to get a, get more people to live like that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like the fear that a lot of people have, I have this is that like, there'll be a moment where it's great and it's all working and we're all just like living as like digital sharecroppers and we're making our stuff and we're selling it and we're supporting each other and it's all great. And I'm just terrified of the, when the switch happens and we all become Uber drivers of our own content. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that is uh, intimately related is you brought up the word influencer, which I absolutely despise because I grew up in the punk rock scene. I think you, I think you're a couple years younger than me. And I, I know you've talked about like sort of the, the emo scene of the early 2000s. I was a big uh, ska and emo guy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that was definitely, <laughs> but like there was a term that has really gone out of fashion that I would love to bring back, which is poser. Do you remember this? <laughs> I love, I love the idea of a poser. Yeah. But like that, like used to be like, I mean, like if you're part of a scene like punk rock or even ska, like you're like, 
that person's a poser. That person's trying to be part of this thing, but they're not authentic. Get them the fuck out. And influencer is the opposite because influencer is like, the whole goal is to be fake and to be what other people want you to be. And then to, again, like mask what's really happening behind the scenes. And you're living in your parents' basement and struggling, but you're trying to make YouTube videos about how you're a drop shipping millionaire just because you go like rent Lamborghinis on the weekend and film content. Like, and I think that's where so much of these bad things come into play where it makes everyone feel like shit because they're like, fuck, that's the scammiest thing. But like at the same time, should, am I not doing enough? Am I, am I not grinding on my internet brand adequately? Yeah. I think you're dead on. And I, Oh man, poser was such a great, such a useful phrase poser and and yuppie. I feel like both just really went out of fashion and could come back. But there was, there's also like this thing that like influencers are part of. I don't think they're, I don't think influencers are like the, the the true bad guy like if there was like an anime situation like they're not the final boss that, yeah, uh, yeah who i think are the companies that like run these platforms which they sort of thrive on this idea that i've been kind of playing around with with you know like body dysmorphia but it's mm-hmm. that but for your life oh yeah yeah like what and, would it be like 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 persona dysmorphia something yeah like, that? like identity dysmorphia life yeah. dysmorphia and it seems to really af- affect millennials, although I think COVID might be a breaking point where a lot of us are just saying, like, fuck this, I'm getting out of here. But it, it it is interesting that, like, there's an entire group of people online who make money by making other people feel like shit. And yeah. we, like, are totally cool with that in a way where, like, yeah, like, f- other kinds of famous people obviously make you feel less attractive or less successful, but they're also performing a service you know, making movies or whatever, but we do just have people who like, you know, they just do like really bad dances on TikTok yeah. and they make you feel inferior. And like, we love that. And it's a very strange relationship to that whole thing. Well, and and I think it's, um, there's a problem with American culture where we mistake luck for talent. Like there's this oh, idea yeah. that like, if you're famous, you deserve it. You did something good instead of you were, you know, like I'm, I'm going to shoot a famous bullet into a field of 50 million people and it's going to hit one person and whoever that is, like they become famous. That has nothing to do with talent. And that's, I mean, I think especially with TikTok, it's like you were crossing the algorithm at the right time and you're a generically attractive white 21 year old. And so now yeah. you get to live in a hype house. Yeah. The dream. Uh, the, the dream. Yeah. The dream. Who wouldn't? I, yeah. I've been, okay. This is an interesting thing where, like in America, we do think of fame as a good thing, mm-hmm. even though typically it's not for Americans. We sort of we sort of like to tear down anybody that becomes sort of known and famous. But then there's also this feeling of like, if you're viral, it you must deserve it now, which has never really been true. As right. you said, it was sort of it used to be something that was just sort of afflicted upon people, and so we have like this very like I think we're at a tipping point with a lot of this where it can't continue. It's not sustainable. It's not like, like the expectations we have of internet creators, the sort of parasocial relationships that we're forming, like none of this can really continue without some kind of line in the sand being drawn. I I sort of suspect that's going to be the next wave is like creators that have no interest in a parasocial relationship. I've already interviewed a few who are like, my fans are not my friends and we are not 
ever going to be friends kind of thing. And mm. I see that spreading more and I see people wanting that from creators more. So I, I, I think that might be a new wave, but I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying about it feels unsustainable and everything is changing at a, at incredible speeds. And I think like, I would love to talk about it a little bit, but I think you've laid out before a couple of key moments of like internet history that guides us from the, um, the early teens to now with these milestones of like when the discourse, which I think the, the use of the word discourse has shot up like a billion percent this year, oh, but like yeah. when that really evolved and changed and and how that's all moved. But I constantly fall back on this thing of we're human beings. We have pretty primal motivating emotions. And a lot of this just feels like if you have a system that's designed to look at humans, figure out which emotions make them press the green button instead of the red button, and then you just keep iterating on that, we come up with political systems that are entirely dependent on fear and outrage to like cartoonish degrees and commercial marketing strategies that are entirely dependent on the idea of making people feel inferior. And if you only signed up for my $40,000 manifesting course, like, God, you could have everything too. I mean, you're, you're a wizard. You should totally have a manifesting course, right? Like you should be teaching people how to reality shift and become billionaires and use the power of the secret or whatever. No, but this is my curse. This is like, I've, I've done a whole podcast episode about this where like, I see myself as the guy with the end is nice sign. And so I want to call out that these things are a problem. And I'm deeply uncomfortable with the hypocrisy of being like, sign up for my course so you can learn about how courses like this are bullshit. Like, not everyone needs to have a Patreon. Sign up for my Patreon so I can tell you more about how you should just enjoy your life and doing your thing. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's That's... like... I, I, the, I, the episode I made about it, I, I joked about the, um, it's a Mitch Hedberg joke where he says, I'm against protesting, but I don't know how to show it. Like, how do you, <laughs> how do you be a voice of alarm in this internet ecosystem without being like, like, and subscribe? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. There's, there's sort of another version of this that's been kicking around that I've done a, I did a YouTube video about it and I've, I've written about it a little bit where it, it it's sort of like, I mean, the, the, the term they use is a, the passive income grift. Mm. Or the passive income idea, I call yeah. it a grift. Yeah. Um, but if you if you if you zoom out more, what you're really looking at is just like digital landlordism, and yeah. this idea of like you try to camp out on a platform you don't own, and you then you try to grind it for views or scale or whatever, and then you try to make money off that, and then at a certain point you're you're going to hit a wall, so you're going to decide to teach other people how to do it, which is just a, that's just a pyramid scheme. You're just describing mm -hmm. a pyramid scheme. And, uh, and it's, it's kind of not going away as fast as I thought it would. Like I kind of figured by this point that would be over, but it, it, it feels like the pandemic is actually sort of guiding people towards this stuff more often, which is worrying to me. Well, I think it's, um, like, it's like feedback, you know, like when you're, when you have like a microphone too close to the speaker and then the signal is just repeating and like amplifying itself. So the more you have people on the internet trying to promote a grift, whether that's passive income as a landlord or drop shipping or um, like whatever else it might be, the more you have people thinking that they're missing out and that everybody else is getting in on this wave and they need to, which makes more people hungry for that content and more people upset about what they don't have. And then it just gets more and more extreme. I feel like 
it's it's um yeah it's like like if you could turn on the lights it's like a bunch of fucking people at a rave all trying to sell fake drugs to each other and no one realizing (laughs) that like there's no one actually here at the rave that's not a fake drug dealer trying to sell fake drugs yes that is i used to go to like weird internet like meetups in like the 2010s like early 2010s -hmm. and sometimes you'd get there and you'd be talking to people and all of a sudden you'd realize that like almost everyone there was just like some weirdo from LinkedIn who was there to network. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, this isn't real. This is just, this is, Oh God. You know, and you try to get out of there as fast as possible. And I think the internet kind of comes in waves where it will be like that sometimes. But I am, I am largely optimistic about everything actually in a weird way. Um, And I feel like a lot of people are going to go through the passive income journey or they're going to go through like the weird, like, patreon coaches journey and they're going to come out the other end and be like that sucked ass and then they'll move on and like it's almost like a way to just like kill that is to is to let it run its course yeah and then hope that something better grows out of the bloated corpse or at least different you know like yeah i think different is the idea yeah yeah i feel like i may i might be (laughs) i think i'm over the concept of better but now i'm just like okay like let's just do something different just so it's not boring (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I I had a friend who wrote an amazing poem once that was just talking about, you know, a lot of the Republican chicanery. And they're like, yeah, our ideas not might not work, but can we at least have different problems? Like, yeah. let's have different problems for a minute. Let's not just like keep hitting against the same ones. Um, I really appreciate your optimism, though. I think that's one of the things that I really enjoy because I can get very dystopian and cynical and freak myself out worrying about um, the direction that we're going. But then I think you do a really good job of not just being like, hey, here's a weird story about furries, but like, hey, like here's a really interesting thing about like this slice of internet culture and how it's interacting with other parts of internet culture and kind of going out. And one of the things that I think is an interesting trend that you've identified is this idea of the blurry line between IRL and URL and people using the internet to do more stuff, like like you said, these like meetups and things. And I'm curious how you think that will work because so much of the internet and I think often the worst parts of the internet are fueled by people hiding behind avatars or grift videos or things where, yeah, like if you went to the YouTube grifter conference, you would immediately be like, wow, it smells it's, like desperation and sweat in here. Like none of these people have any money. It's called VidCon and it was canceled because of the Delta variant this year. Uh, I, I've been once. It's, it's fascinating. Um, it, if you're uh, part of VidCon, you're listening to this. I had a lovely time. Please invite me again next year. Um, so I, I, okay. I have also been trying to answer this question, which is like, I think, okay. So I think the first wave of this stuff is just going to be pure chaos. And I think we're mm-hmm. already sort of seeing that. Um, I think like people are just trying to experiment with how to simultaneously have an event online and offline at the same time. And it's, kind of working like actually a couple weeks ago i did like a live event in new york city that was streamed online and it was one of the first times i've seen people sharing screenshots of the stream as often as they were taking photos so interesting i think like our user behavior has shifted and that to me also makes all of this a lot more simple which is like i i sort of don't see it as like a if or but or a what could happen but more just like 
the way we sort of live now has shifted and you know it, it might go away people were all kinds of weird after the last pandemic you know the the roaring 20s i think are sort of yeah. a, a great bizarre reaction to the death and destruction of the previous decade and so you know maybe we'll just spend the next decade like live streaming the shit out of everything or it could be a, a more permanent shift in the way we experience the world and and it's also not totally a new thing. Like I, I, I always sort of date it back to Pokemon Go, which I think is like still one of the most like mind blowing technological achievements of my lifetime. It's like mm-hmm. you can go. I remember I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, and I'm like walking in like a park in like 2017, probably 2018, and there's just like a group of people, like at least 20, 25 people, standing in a circle completely silently in this park. And I'm like, what the fuck are they all doing? And then I pulled up my Pokemon Go just to see. Maybe if that's what it was. And sure enough, someone had dropped mm-hmm. a lure there and they were all playing it. But you wouldn't know that unless you had a phone and you had that app. And that was sort of a mind blowing experience for me where I was like, oh, there's like an entire world that these people are interacting with that I cannot see unless I know where to find it online. And so I think experiments with that are are speeding up because people are home. So you have an audience that will watch. Um, and you know, the Kanye West live streams are kind of tied to this, depending on how you feel about him or the album. I think they were interesting that he was able to do three of them that people watched. Mm-hmm. Um, the Josh fight where you had a bunch of kids named Josh fight in a field in Iowa because of a random viral. See, I like that one. I, I love um, that. One. I, I have a whole theory um, where I think we're very familiar with the term Internet trolling. But I'm very into this idea of internet gnoming, which is like the positive, <laughs> benevolent version. So I think yeah. the Josh fight's a great example. I think when um, like uh, people sent Pitbull to that Walmart Alaska. in Alaska, yep. I think when people named that boat Bodie McBoatface. Like those are things where like everyone kind of wins. Like it's sort of like a weird, delightful joke that we all get to play in together rather than on someone in a way that we're like, I hope a SWAT team murders you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> I prefer that than the swatting version. Um, yeah. and it's interesting though, that like, it is the same mechanism for both outcomes. It's, it's kind of, kind of wild that you can do both, <laughs> uh, inside you, uh, is a Josh fight and a swatting and you have to choose which one to be every day. Um, I know. I think it's, I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's outside of you is a Josh fight and a swatting and like, which swarm are you going to find yourself in today? Yeah. I think that's totally true. And, and it's, yeah, I, I have been wondering, like, are we going to start seeing flash mobs? Are we, are we, there was that whole like kind of cringy, but harmless, like improv everywhere phase where people were just like doing random weird stuff. And like some of it sticks, like you get the, um, you get the underpants subway ride mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, I, I think those things are, are hard to keep going because they require that like spark of spontaneity and they require like, you know, something that feels genuine and authentic in a way that is also decentralized. Here is a great example, though. I think this is just yeah. like this is just the perfect example of SantaCon. Exactly. Oh man, started by oh. weird Bay Area people with like utopian pranksterish ideas, spreads, achieves yep. scale, becomes worse and worse and worse until it goes from like what a fun, weird, surreal celebration to like here's a bunch of assholes puking on each other. And I think like you could probably say the same thing about Twitter. Oh, for sure. And what's even crazier is I've even seen whispers in the last like year or two of people like who are interested in SantaCon 
as an ironic experience. Mm. So it's like, it's like, it's not done evolving. Like it could end up in like a situation like the Jersey shore where like you have like hipsters going to the very bridge and tunnel Santa con celebration. And it's, 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 I, I love that stuff. I love like watching it shift and change. Like our entire, our entire national relationship to Guy Fieri, I feel like has been profound in the last couple of years. Oh yeah. Yeah. He's totally. gone from like sideshow to ironic uh, enjoyment to guy that we've discovered is actually like deeply involved with like food banks and charity and just seems like a nice dude. And everyone's like, he's a nice guy. Like, I, I love that. I love that stuff. <laughs> well, I think that's a great example of, yeah. Like what you said earlier about it's not better, it's different. And in that case, like it is better. Like it's, it's evolving and it's kind of like, you know, the guy that, you know, has the loud mouth at a party. Eventually you are like, Oh, that, that person, you know, has insecurities and actually is like a really good dude underneath. Whereas I think some other things it's like, it's like an ecosystem where it breeds predators over time. And then those predators can easily jump into a new ecosystem. So when somebody starts a new social media app, it doesn't go through the same life cycle that Twitter did because all of the things that have already evolved to be horrible on Twitter can just pour into it on day one. Oh, yeah. That is that is such a thing. I mean, we saw that with Clubhouse, where Clubhouse just became the worst parts of Twitter and LinkedIn combined overnight. Yeah. And and that, that will keep happening. And I think, like... It's almost like this weird network effect that we've created where no matter what, these people are just going to move together. And there is, there's not a lot of great ways to deal with it. I mean, in fact, one other example is the Donald, the, the, the pro Trump subreddit mm-hmm. that moved off Reddit to its own website and just kept on trucking. And I, I think it has gone down in activity and a lot of these places eventually just become like weird circular communities where everyone's kind of insane and like miserable, kind of like Neopets. <laughs> or, 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 I mean, you wrote about this recently with um, fandom communities. Like I think you used the example of uh, for Amazon's Invincible. Oh yeah. Like, that shows not got a new season coming out anytime soon and it's not new right now. So the Reddit for it is like just kind of weird and just the same repeated posts over and over. And then you explored how that was even more extreme in Star Wars communities, which are just the worst. Yeah, I think that's totally true. And in fact, actually, the the, the Invincible Subreddit has gotten even worse since I wrote about it. I think those people are actually radicalizing. They really like Omni Man, and he's like a genocidal maniac. But anyways, <laughs> um, I, I think like I think this is it's a really complicated thing because once that sort of snowball starts happening, it's very hard to undo it. And then there's just like. There's another part of me that's always just like, yeah, like shitty people exist and shitty men exist. And like if you make media, even if it's making fun of them, they might still glom onto it and love it. Like, you know, Rick and Morty or something Mm -hmm. like it. It's really hard to to avoid it. And then those people with the Internet are going to find each other and they're going to start networking and connecting. And then the other part of me is like should we even have a say like do we really want to be able to remove someone from the internet entirely especially if it's really important and then it's like well we should be able to de-platform nazis and it gets all very complicated (laughs) extremely complicated and i i I think one of the things that uh was one of like the first questions that i want to ask you but we're getting to it late in the game is how do you cover this because 
even just in my own journey of being on Facebook, which I thought got shittier and shittier and went from like fun threads with my friends to like, I hate everything. I don't want to even respond to someone's take. Facebook at least felt sort of visible. Like I could find a group, like even if it was a private group, I could still like see that it existed. Whereas I have no idea what discords are out there. Discords are all like nightclubs in the middle of an abyss with no map. Like you just have to kind of find them or like find a subreddit or something that like, you know, it's, it's this trail of breadcrumbs from one community to the next. So like as a journalist, what do you do to like walk your beat? Oh yeah. So, uh, I mean, a lot of it is that I have like an internet browsing experience that I've built over time to, to sort of do this sort of thing. Like my tweet, uh, on TweetDeck, I have like uh, almost 10 different columns for like different kinds of people I follow. I have an RSS reader that's full of different stuff. I have a subreddit, I have like a subreddit list that's like decked out. Um, and, but in terms of just like finding it over the years, I've tried different strategies and like the, the one that really burned me out and made me just miserable was like actively trying to do it. And I also felt like trying to read Twitter in its entirety every single day, (laughs) just until there's no more posts. Scroll to the bottom. Yeah. Um, actually weirdly when my mom got a Twitter to follow me, she did think you could do that. And then would get very frustrated when she couldn't because it would move her. Um, (laughs) So I have found that like both the work that I was doing suffered from doing that. My brain didn't feel good. And then wait, what, wait, what was the strategy? Cause I made my joke, but then I didn't understand. Oh, 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 like actively trying to read the whole internet. Yeah. Like, oh, like okay, literally gotcha. aggressively trying to like catch memes before they happen. So they could mm. have a post mm-hmm. ready to go when they did happen and yada, yada, yada. I was like, this sucks ass. And like people who are doing this, because back in those days, there was like a guy named Nitsan Zimmerman who was doing it for Gawker mm-hmm. and he was like really good at it. And also it was, it felt really dark. Like I had Google alerts set up for stuff and I was like, this sucks and I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> and then I, I have over the last five years shifted to what I call like an osmosis mode where like if I see a thing and I think it's interesting now I just have a big Google doc and I drop it in and then I don't look at it again until it's time to write. And then I go through all the links that I've collected and just like see what pops out. Um, and that to me feels a lot more healthy and also like the stakes shouldn't be that high when you're talking about like fun stuff on the internet. Like the, that's sort of why like garbage day is called garbage day. Cause like if the minute you start to think that what you're doing is sort of like grandiose or powerful, you, you're going to lose the magic to it. Even if you want to get there, if you want to do something profound, sure. But you know, you got to start with the garbage, I think first before you can get to the stars. I don't know. Um, but yeah. It makes me think about like going to a big party. Like if you go to like a big kind of ravey party thing, if your goal is to be at all of the fun places at that party as they're happening, you are going to have the worst time. Yes. Like I want to be dancing with the hottest person on the dance floor, but also like in the coolest bathroom stall doing the most drugs also at this and this and this and this and this and this. It's like, no, that's, that's not how anyone <laughs> enjoys partying. Like you want to be there with your friends, meeting interesting people and having a good time in the corner that like you can find to do that in. I think the best, the best parties I have ever been to, usually started at like someone's house randomly mm. and spiraled out into like, you know, a house destruction party. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the, that's, that's the vibe you want. And 
Yeah, I think I think that's the way to do it. I there's now like it's weird. I've been doing this long enough where like there's now like a a, a visible new kind of generation or crop of people who are doing this kind of work, and a lot of them seem to be going at it. Some of them are making the same mistakes I did, and I'm like waiting for them to eventually not do that anymore. And like that's just part of the journey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then I think a lot of them are also going at it in a lot more of a healthy kind of thoughtful way where I don't think there is as much of a a desire or a curiosity from people anymore about like being first or finding something first. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's more like, what does it mean? And I, I think that's a much more interesting question. Well, I think, um, I think you've commented a few times on the sort of death of monoculture and how there is no mainstream anymore. Like the most boring coworker you have listens to music that you've never even heard of because it could be, it could be like really treacly, like terrible, you know, AI programmed country pop or something, but like, it's not like everybody else is watching Madonna and drinking Coca-Cola and you're at the fucking misfits show, man. Like there's not that anymore. And I think I, I, I remember like the full hipster cycle. Like I remember from before that was a common word and being like, what are all my weird friends? Like what, like, what is this generation? Like, who are we? Like, I know twee girls that like cat power and, you know, play ukulele. And I know like vegan dudes that ride fixed gear bikes and listen to lightning bolt. Like what is the connection between those two very different people? vice magazine? That's what they vice all work advice. <laughs> but, um, I think the hipster thing was about, like you said, that first thing, like at any moment, any scene could be blown up by a journalist. Like a journalist could suddenly like write a blog and be like, here's this scene. And you're like, fuck, you just made it not cool. So like, how do I like have enough interest that I'm not just like stuck in one thing? I'm not just punk. I'm not just into like rockabilly or whatever. And how do I like stay ahead of that curve by always trying to be into the more underground thing? And I think the hipsters just kind of eventually realized that the, the ledge that they were trying to run away from had, had gone past them and it was just chaos. And there was, there was no, like, you're going to like scoff and be like, Oh, you haven't heard of this band. It's like, yeah, man, of course I haven't heard of this band. There's a billion bands on Bandcamp. Like I haven't heard of any of them. In a world where hyperpop exists, you cannot know everything. <laughs> it's just not possible. Like I celebrate myself for knowing that hyperpop exists. Like I right. love when I can like, you know, especially through the work that you're doing. I mean, it, I think it's really cool and interesting to try and have a finger on some sort of pulse while also acknowledging that like whatever kids are doing in Roblox rooms, like I'm not going to know about. Oh man, I haven't even, I've never brought up Roblox on Garbage Day actually. And it's like one of those things where I'm like, I know I'm going to have to. And I'm just like, I'm dragging my feet because it's just a mess in there. <laughs> I, I mean, I, 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 maybe you didn't share this, but I remember reading an article recently about like the weird condo parties. I thought that you shared that, but maybe not. Oh, no. But that's unless I did and I forgot about it. But I yeah. I feel like I I think I, I've mentally had a no Roblox rule because yeah. I'm just like, it's too complicated to get into unless I like yeah. get into it. Yeah. But, uh, but, for, but for the listeners, so like this, this blew my mind. This is exactly the kind of thing we're talking about. Like Roblox is a game that is immensely popular with kids where you can like design your own games. It's kind of like the new Minecraft. And there's an entire underground world that some journalists wrote about people trying to make like weird modded, like your digital Lego characters can have sex with each other and you can use swear words because it's super like parent controls moderated. And like, it's a whole black market of like, teenagers wow. trying to throw parties on like a, a kid's game. It's it's the weirdest shit I've ever seen. That's amazing. And of course they're doing that. That's, that's like, that's almost charming in a way. 
Oh, totally. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think the one thing that I get the most optimistic about is that I think the future generations are going to look at us like we were chain smoking unfiltered cigarettes and drinking Everclear while pregnant. They'll be like, you guys were using social media that you let their algorithms control what you saw? Are you fucking psychotic? Like you need to <laughs> yeah. like, you need to pay like, like as much as you pay in rent to have an algorithm that is like securely bonded to you that like protects your best interests on the internet. Like you cannot let the other platforms handle that. Like you need to have your own boat that like takes you through the swamp. Oh yeah. I've already seen actually like Tumblr posts from younger people like complaining about how like weird and sexual we are with like fan fiction and stuff, mm. which is really interesting. Or like them commenting on like how not okay, like old blogging culture was. Oh yeah. And I, 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 I guess I kind of in the back of my head knew that would happen there. I knew there'd be a cultural shift in that direction, but like, I just wasn't prepared for it this early, you know. <laughs> um, uh, one of my um, ex-girlfriends was involved in uh, this Marxist feminist organizing group, and the group had like two core strategies. One was about like working currently to you know promote the Marxist feminist agenda. They were the ones that got uh, Plan B available over the counter, so they were like you know boots on the ground doing good work. But the other part was about education because they were aware that there was a huge issue within the culture of people kind of trying to like pull themselves up by like canceling the previous generation which caused oh. a lot of amnesia and so people were like yeah everyone in the 60s was like this and it's like nope we had very detailed conversations about the intersection of like class and feminism and race and yep like you got to learn that we've already been here so you don't just do like shittier versions of it over and over and over Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. There yeah, I don't know. There's 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 definitely like a circular nature to all of this. But I do think the circular nature is going away a bit because we can see it. And it it might be replaced with something different or more complicated, but it does feel like we're not stuck in as many of the same patterns as we used to be. Amen. I mean, hmm. we're stuck in new patterns, new patterns. We have new thought prisons that were trapped inside. But the old ones, you know, those are maybe going away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that's the perfect time for us to talk about our spell. And OK, let's let's figure out, like, what do you think? I mean, I, I assume that everyone that listens to this is online to some extent because it's a podcast. So, like, what do you think is a spell that people can do to, like, make their Internet experience better and maybe make other people's better, too? Hmm. Okay, so I think we should cast a spell to bring back RSS feeds. Ooh, okay. I think things were better when people read websites. Yeah. And I think the best way to follow the updates of a website are RSS. Got so it. I think one one way could be to bring that back. It's a bit that would be complicated, but it's possible. Isn't isn't Substack just an RSS feed without Tech, technically? So are all podcasts actually? Yeah, yeah, that, so. that that is also true. So we're already doing it. But um, all right, cool. So okay, so like, what's like a symbolic? Because I like I like the idea of this spell where we're like, here's the goal that we want. Um, but then like, what's a symbolic action that we think people can take to kind of you know, if a, if a couple thousand people do this, that we'll be like, yeah, we're we're shifting okay. the intent of the internet here. Okay, so if we want to manifest the return of our, uh, <laughs> yeah. if we want to manifest the return of RSS feeds, 
I think there's one very simple action we can all take, which is if you see a tweet or a reference in a tweet to something that you don't understand and people are very mad about it and you're like, I don't know what you're all mad about. Don't look it up. Mm. Just let it wash over you and go about your day. Yeah. I like don't that. investigate the discourse that that's the spell, I, I guess the action. Ooh, I like that. Cause I think, um, there's, there's a concept that I like playing around with about like sacrifice, you know, if you think classic magic ritual, like you think sacrifice. Yeah. And normally I think people get really just like focused on the idea of like you kill an animal, but the reason why it was a sacrifice is because that animal mattered to you. It wasn't just a random goat you found. It was like one of the four goats that you had. And so you were like giving something up. And I think that there's a lot of power in that idea of, on the internet, we're just a dog constantly tasting Frisbees as, oh, what is that thing? Oh, I wonder how many uh, sexual assault charges are filed against uh, R. Kelly. I can look that up. Like, there's always that curiosity to go, like, investigate. And I love that idea of sacrificing that, of feeling that urge consciously and being like, nah, I'll just let <laughs> yeah. that one go. Yeah, just let it, just let it wash over you. And don't, uh, uh, no thoughts, head empty, you know? No thoughts, head empty. Awesome. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you. For more of Ryan's magic, visit garbageday.email, where you can subscribe to Garbage Day for free, or throw Ryan $5 to get an extra email each week and have access to the very, very good Garbage Day Discord. And hey, if you like putting money in the hands of hardworking internet content creators, I'm now doing wizardry full-time. Join our ritual and support this magic at patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual, where for just $4.20 each month, you can help me buy another tin of sardines or a can of beans and keep starvation at bay for just one more day. And you get cool bonus content and monthly virtual magic gatherings and more. So yeah, check out patreon.com slash thispodcastisaritual and help ensure that I don't have to eat my own beard for sustenance. This has been such a fun episode for me because I'm such a huge fan of Ryan's work, and I love these interesting topics about the internet. It's grown into the dominant reality within my own lifetime, and none of us truly understand it, which I think is a very magical, strange world to live in. I hope you've enjoyed this exploration and we'll keep diving deep into all the weird occult shadows the modern world has to offer. So don't lose hope in that strange digital darkness, because there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and we're walking towards it one garbage day at a time. Until next time, I'm your wizard Devin Person. I believe in you. Your magic is real.